Welcome to Stop Telling and Start Listening with David Cook. If you're frustrated with the way we are speaking or not speaking to each other, if you find yourself easily at odds in your conversations with people, this may be just the show for you. Listen in as David and his guests will help you elevate your communication skills and navigate the tensions present in many conversations today. Now, here is David Cook. All right, let's get started. Um, Welcome, everyone, to Stop Telling and Start Listening. I'm your host, David Cook. Every week, I am blessed with the opportunity to share my thoughts, lessons, and experiences regarding the power of listening and the impact of great listening behaviors that have on building trust, improving relationships, and solving complex problems. What makes this hour so special is I get to have powerful conversations with others who are sharing and living their commitment to productive communication and celebrating the impact their effective listening activities are having on the lives of the people they are working with. And I'm thrilled to have you join me on this journey as well. Um, Today, I have a really special guest, Allison Paradise. I invited Allison to join me because of the work she is doing with children and young adults in the arena of authentic interactions, self-discovery, and awareness. You know, as I navigated my own experiences with my younger son's substance abuse issues and brought those lessons forward to other parents in similar situations, I learned and shared a great deal that one of the most consistent sources of addiction was childhood trauma. Most people who are suffering from substance abuse disorder are dealing with trauma, and they're trying to, they're trying to numb it or block it out or just avoid it and pretend it doesn't you know, to make it go away. And when I share these insights with parents, I would consistently get pushback from at least one parent, if not more. My child never experienced trauma. One thing to keep in mind, though, is trauma is personal. An event that might be traumatic for one may not be traumatic for someone else in the same circumstances. Because the child hasn't shared their story doesn't mean they don't have one. It just means that they haven't discovered how to share it or who they can trust to share it with. Or... Perhaps even when they shared it, the person hearing the story may not may have downplayed it or ignored the pain in the message. This is why teaching children and parents how to have authentic, safe listening conversations is so critical. Our children have stories to tell and share. We need to encourage them to share their truth as they experience it and accept their truth as they share it. I heard a saying years ago that really resonated with me. It was once you inject yourself into someone else's story, you change the story. And this is why I became so frustrated with parents who would tell their children's story for them instead of sit and listen to their children's story as it was. For this is the story their children believe is true. And rather than exploring the possibilities of the story they need to hear, they changed it. The greatest gift a parent, actually anyone who's in a relationship, is the gift of encouraging someone to tell their story and find safety and comfort in freely sharing it. And this is why I'm so excited to have Allison here with me, because there are lessons that she's providing children and young adults and their parents. Allison is the founder and CEO of the Epicenter and author of a children's book, The Mistake. The Epicenter empowers children and young adults to reconnect with their authentic selves and their limitless potential by creating open spaces free of judgment and full of mindful awareness. Through her work at the Epicenter, Allison guides students in self-exploration, self-discovery, and self-expression. She's written the book, The Mistake, 
which echoes the mission of the epicenter and explores having the courage to be what you are. Allison holds degrees in neuroscience from Brown and Harvard, two schools I would never get into. And she is a frequent keynote speaker and in 2019 was invited to give a TED Talk about her work in sustainability. Last year, Allison and I first had an opportunity to meet over breakfast, and we connected on a very amazing level with respect to our commitment to effective relationship and personal development through listening and communication. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with her and being able to share it with you as it takes place. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, this is great. Hey, we had a little technology to start this bad boy out, so we're a little behind schedule, but I'm so glad we worked through it because I've been looking forward to this for weeks. You know, as I, as, as I um, looked through your, your bio and was thinking about the conversation we had a year ago, one of the things I don't think I asked you, and I thought we'd start the show off with, was what was your aha moment? What made you go, hmm, I think I'm onto something here? Oh, that's a really good question. So I would say I've known probably my whole life that this is, that this, and I should define this as being creating spaces that are free of judgment for people and full of potential and possibility for them to express themselves is critically important since I was very little. My younger sister is three years younger than me. And when she was born, it was just so obvious in me that I wanted to create spaces for her to just be, to be completely herself. And ever after that, I, I think since at a very young age, I've been wanting to create those spaces for people. The challenge was figuring out how to do that in a way that was meaningful because it would just happen everywhere I went, but it wasn't necessarily contained in a in a container that would make any sense. It would be, I'm on an airplane and suddenly we're having a very intense conversation about somebody's past trauma, as you mentioned, and kind of giving them space to free that and release it. And so it was maybe three years ago now when I realized, as I was writing the TED Talk, actually, that I couldn't go another day without honoring this part of myself and the need to create an intentional space for this work to actually happen, particularly with kids and with young adults. It just, it was almost as if writing the, the TED talk about sustainability and about what it means to sustain yourself made me realize I wasn't doing that for me. Hmm. See, it was a good complicated question and a complicated answer. There you <laughs> go, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, your motivation was actually your sister. That's when yeah. kind of like the light bulb went on. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. So tell me a little bit about how you, you got from, from that uh, moment of, of awareness to, to here today. I mean, what is, what, what are you doing with these, uh, with these young adults and children um, that inspired you? When people ask me what we're doing, I kind of jokingly say nothing kind of that's what we're doing. <laughs> so we're just not in the way of whatever needs to be expressed. We create these, I always say we create a space. Oops. 
I always say we create a space because we are actually holding space for people to be able to share whatever it is that's in their hearts. And oftentimes it takes a minute for that, and a minute being, you know, a half hour, an hour, multiple sessions for that to actually be felt because people aren't used to being in spaces like that. They're used to saying something and having somebody come back with what they should do, how they should feel, how they should respond, um, shutting it down entirely, negating that emotional response. And that's just not something that's present in our work. So that's what we're doing. And the path to get there was really, for me, a path of undoing all the things that I'd been taught growing up. Because it was obviously in me when I was a kid. I knew how to do this for my sister. I knew how to do this for people. And as you get older, you're, you learn about who you should be and how you should act. And I took a lot of that on. There's a reason I have degrees in neuroscience, which quite frankly make no sense in this formula of work. And it's because I thought I should be a doctor and I thought I should be a neurosurgeon more specifically. So I lost a lot of the ability to sit and be present with people in the race that I found myself in to be the number one neurosurgeon, which obviously didn't end up becoming a doctor, but that was my path all through high school and in college. And then after that, I did research for a while. So it was about being the number one researcher. And so in doing all of that, you, when you're so focused on on the accolades and the appearance, it's very difficult to listen to other people in those spaces. So I spent the last probably 10 years, a lot of time alone, undoing those patterns of behavior so that I could sit in a space of non-judgment, of curiosity, and just listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, when um, when we talked a long time ago, you know, last year and stuff like that, that's the part that resonated with me, you know, the whole the whole should. Um, you know, this is what I should be doing. This is how I should be acting. And it's kind of like, who's defined the rules? Who's who's mm-hmm. created the structure? And, you know, is it society? Is it, is it my parents? Or, you know, who's created these expectations of me that have defined how, I, uh, how I'm supposed to act? You know, what are the rules? And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm nearly 66, so I've got 66 years ingrained of of, of, of shoulds and oughts and mm-hmm. all that other crap. And it's, and it, it's very crippling. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I have a, I have a day where, you know, I'm, 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 I'm self-employed. I have my freedom and my time, um, to choose how I want to spend my days, but I get caught up in, uh, I really should be busier or I really <laughs> should be working on this. And it, it just limits the, the freedom and the flexibility to experience and explore. Exactly. Exactly. It is, it is incredibly limiting that idea of who we should be and what we should be doing. And the older we get, the harder it is to undo that. But young kids, if you watch them, they don't have that. We don't. We all are born without that. We just take it on board and then treat it as if it's true. And it's not true. Yeah. Well, but we're bombarded with it. So it becomes yeah. true because we're bombarded with it every day. You know, I, I, when I uh, when we did the first uh, the introductory episode, one of the stories I shared um, was you know riding in the riding in my um, 100 pedals van with my grandson, and he would get in the car and he would just start telling a story, 
And it was basically a stream of consciousness story. (laughs) As he was observing things, he was making things up as he was going. And the stuff he was saying was, was, was nearly nonsensical. But what he was doing was he was sharing what he was seeing and experiencing in words that worked for him, but it didn't work for me as an adult because it didn't make sense. And so was, at first, my temptation was to correct him, and I thought, no, wait, he's expressing himself as he's experiencing his life in the car with Grandpa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's pretty beautiful. Much what you, that, that's pretty much it then, right? I mean, yeah. uh, in its simplistic, basic form. Exactly. We were working with some kids over the weekend, and it's very similar. We had purchased these rocks for them. You know those sort of geodes that are tumbled and they're shiny? We'd purchased a few of those for the kids, and they wanted to paint them. So we were painting them as the parents came in, and the parents start freaking out. Those shouldn't be painted. Those are pretty as they are. Don't do that. And the kids, of course, they're they're looking at them like, why, why wouldn't we be allowed to, to paint these? It's all of right. that just not putting your own perspective onto somebody else. Let them have a perspective. Let them see the world how they're seeing it. Because that's when we really get this rich tapestry of humanity, when we all can bring our true authentic selves and our own experience completely unobstructed to to be in the moment. Right. It's amazing what we can create if we can all do that. Yeah. Definitely. So I'm kind of curious, how did the children respond to the parents freaking out? <laughs> they were very confused and they kept saying, but they said, you know, they said it was okay. <laughs> and we get that a lot where we work, where I often have a hard time thinking now like an adult. And so I sometimes forget how other people might re- react to the things that I think are okay, because really we're facilitating, especially when the kids are young, we're facilitating them following their excitement. So if they're excited about putting glue and glitter and water together in a bowl, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, do it. It's all good. Uh, but that doesn't, isn't necessarily something that other people my age think is awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I can have a hard time with that. And then often they just point to us and they say, but those adults said it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it kind of reminds me of another, another um, personal story is, is that my daughter, you know, she's got, you know, her, her boys are eight and five. I don't think she's quite as much into this routine now, but when they were younger, um, she finally just said um, that they get to choose what they wear in the morning. Nice. And, you know, so they would show up at our house, you know, show up to, you know, spend time with Grandpa. And I'm looking at the, you know, the outfit there where like, who the hell picked this one up? <laughs> that's what they chose today. And, and her attitude was, I am not going to argue with them about what they want to wear. I want to, all I want to do is get them out the door. Mm-hmm. And so she, you know, they would show up in these very much self-expressive sort of ways and the clothes <laughs> didn't necessarily match. They almost sometimes didn't go with the season. And so there was a component to it that, like, <laughs> I can't believe this. So it was pretty funny that, you know, um, <laughs> watching her watching her do that. And I realize now, though, the gift that she was giving them was that she wasn't making them wrong about the choices that they were making. Yeah. She was allowing them to have the freedom to make the choices that they were making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Interesting. Yeah, I guess it's beautiful. I don't know when they show up with purple <laughs> pants and a green shirt, though. I don't know. But anyway. Why not? Or they're... 
Yeah, I know. Well, they they didn't care. <laughs> they were thrilled. You know, and to this day, my younger grandson um, has, has a tendency, I think, and it's very intentional. I think as a, he has a tendency to not wear matching socks um, <laughs> because he's gotten in the habit that it's okay. The socks don't have to match, which is back to the should, right? Who says mm-hmm. the socks have to match? Right. Yeah. It's interesting no. when when you find yourself being bothered by somebody's behavior like that to just ask yourself, why am I so disturbed by this? Why do I care yeah. if that person's socks are matching or if their clothes are matching or they're dressed in season? And that's that's something I ask myself a lot. If I start to feel a bit of a, oh, that doesn't seem right, or I should intervene here. I ask myself, well, why is this bothering you? What is it that is resonating in your history that you're not able to let go of rather than putting it on somebody else who clearly has no issue? Yeah. Well, for me, it's always gone back to the question is who made the rules? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm starting to do is, is that, you know, there, is there really a rule book? Now, there's a rule book, but the rule book is kind of like something that's been passed down through the generations. But I don't know who wrote the rule book and I don't know who decided that that rule book was actually correct. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, we have the power to change it. I don't know who wrote it, but I really feel like we can change it collectively. So why not? It's silly. Most of the things that we've decided to agree to don't make any sense. So but the challenge is, is that when, 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 you know, the, when your kid shows up in, you know, seasonable, seasonally inappropriate clothes or not matching <laughs> socks, then there's a fear that it's a rep- reflection on you not being in uh-huh. control of the situation or being a being quote unquote a bad parent. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, that's such a good point because we also, that gets brought up a lot with our work too, that about being in control. And a lot of times I fall back on why is it as adults that we feel like we need to be in control of other people? Why can we not just let them be sovereign beings? And I appreciate the need to guide children, especially young children, because obviously that's important to be able to help them guide their experience so that they're not really in harm's way or something like that. But outside of that, I don't understand why we, like what level of insecurity do you have that you need to control a five-year-old? You know, (laughs) just let them be. Yeah. Well, because it's the fear, you know, and then we had, when I was dealing with the substance abuse issue, Mm -hmm. you know, parents not being able to share their journey with their children's struggle with addiction because it somehow would reflect upon them as a parent mm-hmm. as though they had done something wrong. So mm-hmm. back to the this world nefarious rule book somewhere is that if I'm not playing by the rules, that means I must be a bad parent mm-hmm. by default. Yeah, that's very true. So a lot of our work is with parents to help break that mindset as well, because that mindset isn't benefiting anybody. You know, being afraid of what other people are going to think of you, then therefore being unable to live in your truth doesn't make any sense. So we have to work with adults to help them out of that space. Yeah. Well, fear is definitely um, a motivator for us for so many things anyway. Mm -hmm. So I guess fear of being a bad parent is just part of the many fears uh, that that we've, uh, that we've grown up with, you know, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. Um, and we're going to dive back in. So when we come back, um, I'm going to talk a little bit with Allison about um, the challenges that she has 
because uh, she talked about, I heard her talk about, you know, the, the pause, the time it takes to get these kids to transition to feeling safe and releasing kind of like the, the norms that they've been, they've, they've structured themselves around and start to be um, free to be. And so we're going to talk about some of the challenges that she has with that and then how, how uh, she creates a shift with that. And that's, that's where we'll pick up when we come back after this break. Look forward to seeing you back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We are living in a time where a relentless commitment to opinions and beliefs are dividing communities and fracturing crucial relationships. Making ourselves right and those who disagree with us wrong leaves little room for engaging in a constructive learning dialogue. There is little opportunity to change minds, find common ground, or solve complex problems. Those who are not being heard or understood become angry, hurt, lost, isolated, alone, and more. While mental health-related issues are on the rise, too few know how to safely share their struggles, and far too many don't know how to care about those that do. While it is increasingly frustrating to experience an increase in this communication divide, there is hope. And according to David Cook, there is an answer. The answer lies in how we adjust our communication style and shift our listening behaviors. In his radio show, Stop Telling and Start Listening, host David Cook introduces his audiences to the power found in creating a safe place for sharing life perspectives and experiences without judgment, criticism, correction, or shame. There are tremendous opportunities in learning to see the world from the eyes of another. Join David on Mondays at 11 Pacific. Discover how shifting your listening behaviors will close the divide that exists between you and others in your community. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Stop Telling and Start Listening. Have a question for David or his guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Or you can email Dave at dave at thecookgroupllc.com. Now, back to the show with David. All right, everybody, welcome back. I've, this is David Cook, and I've got Alice in Paradise, and we're talking about encouraging children to be who they are <laughs> and enjoying it. Um, you know, and as we talked about that, one of the things that came from our previous conversation is, well, I called it the rule book. I don't think Allison did, but I, you know, call it the rule book. Somebody, somehow or other, we're, we're, we're playing by a set of rules that somebody told us this is how the game's being played. This is how life is lived. And, um, you know, and, and, and in, in our fear, what happens if we don't play the game by the rules? What it, what it looks like upon us as individuals, what it, you know, the impact that it has on us as, as, you know, how people look at us as adults and parents, et cetera. And what, you know, the, the tensions and, and the issues that come with that. But um, so, Allison, as you're working with children and kind of giving them the space to ignore the rule book. What are some of your big, also you talked about it takes time. What are some of the biggest challenges that you have as it relates to all that stuff? I really appreciate your bringing up the challenges because as I talk about it, I make it sound like this utopian experience, but it is really not easy. (laughs) 
the challenges come from multiple places. So one with the kids, initially this hesitancy to actually engage in that space where where it's actually okay to be themselves. So that can take time for them to feel comfortable in that space. And then sometimes they they want to test where the boundaries are in a space that feels kind of free and limitless. So there can be interesting intersections around, well, okay, yes, you're allowed to climb trees. Do you, is it okay to climb 50 feet into a tree? <laughs> you know, having those conversations among ourselves and also with the kids around trusting them and trusting that they know what's best for them, but also making sure that again, that everybody is safe and not just pushing boundaries for the sake of seeing where they are and then actually hurting themselves. Uh, that's one big challenge. Another big challenge is then integration back into a different space. So if you spend a lot of time with us, it can feel really freeing. It can feel really liberating and you're able to express and be yourself, but then you go to school and it doesn't feel like that anymore. So a big part of our challenge is building up people's confidence in themselves and their kind of love and compassion for themselves so that they can be strong in the face of the rule book and being able to say, well, I, that, that doesn't feel right for me. Like I know myself and I know that actually I am more comfortable in shorts in the winter, which I still, still see people wearing shorts somehow in Michigan in the winter, but also I get it you're more comfortable, that's okay. Uh, so having that strength kind of in themselves and then also helping them navigate, well, some of those rules we just have to follow at certain times and knowing when that that's acceptable and appropriate and when something really is so misaligned with ourselves that we should kind of discard that. And then the, the other two places come from, the challenges come from adults, when parents and also we don't have our own space yet, so we work inside of other spaces, which as I'm saying that, you can probably imagine where the challenges are going to lie there, because a lot of the work that we do involves self-expression, and so with that, we do a lot of artwork, whether it's painting, clay, uh, lots of glitter, and so that can be really challenging for the spaces that we work in, because they have their own set of ideas of how things should be, and as I mentioned previously, I have a really hard time keeping those in mind when I'm really present with the kids. And then for parents, there's a, a tendency to want an outcome. So if we work with kids for two hours or something like that, they want to see, well, what did they do? What is it? What is the piece of artwork look like? Or what is the piece of writing or the play? Or what did you do? <laughs> right? And sometimes there is no thing that we can point to because it's a transformation that happens internally. So being able to communicate that with parents and help them understand that actually the most beautiful things that we can achieve and create happen within ourselves. And then we get a chance to express those externally. But if we don't understand ourselves internally, then the external expression is almost meaningless if it's not a pure reflection of what's happening internally. So all of those can be can be challenges. And then as you mentioned, the fear of that that everybody has around, particularly adults, around the appearance of what it is that's happening and how they will be perceived. And so we do work with parents on on that level, on understanding fear as kind of a, a very low frequency, just kind of a low vibrational state, and how to really breathe through that or get yourself into a different mindset, see a different perspective, so that you're not in a state of fear all the time, because fear is very limited. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm, I'm kind of thinking um, the resistance would be the word that popped in my head, but the yeah. resistance um, would be more on the parent side than the child side. Is that yeah. a fair assessment? Oh, yeah. And yeah, what, <laughs> that's very fair. Because the parents are so ingrained in the fear and the rule book and the way things should be done, et cetera, et cetera. So you're deprogramming parents is really difficult as opposed to teaching children how to, you know, find the space to be comfortable with through they, and their, their own self-expression. Is that a right, pretty right. simple summary? Yeah, that's very, very true. And although teenagers are, are also kind of difficult to get into that space because they're very suspicious of, of what we're doing. Not all of them, but a lot of them can be very suspicious because they've learned, well, this adult world doesn't feel quite right and you seem to be part of that world. So can I trust you? Are you going to are you going to pretend that everything is okay and then come back and tell me, oh, I've broken a bunch of rules and I shouldn't have done that and punish me? So there's a lot of hesitancy in that space, which is why we try to work with teenagers and we, with little kids as well, but especially with teenagers for multiple sessions because it takes that time for them to really start to trust us and to trust themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting you talked about teenagers and reminded me of a book I read years ago called, um, and I don't remember the author's name, but it was called Beyond the Yellow Brick Road. Mm-hmm. And it was basically, it was a, it was a book um, designed for parents to better understand some of the challenges that they're going to have as parents when it comes to substance abuse and stuff like that. But one of the, um, one of the most powerful parts of that book that I took away from that is that, you know, um, the period of life from, uh, from infancy to, um, adolescence is, you know, what, 12, 13 years old. And then, um, after from adolescence to adulthood is about five or six. And then you go to adulthood, which is forever, right? So you've got this little five or six year period of time where everything in your life is in transition. Mm-hmm. You know, your body's going through changes, your mind is developing, um, you're experiencing a level of physical and emotional stuff that is very challenging, traumatic in some respects, right? You know, mm-hmm. your your body's changing and shaping and your voice is changing and all that other stuff. And one of the things he said is it was really, I just loved it. It was like an aha for me as he goes, and the kids are looking around at who their role models are. And they're looking at their teachers and their parents and authority figures, and they see liars. They see people that are miserable and unhappy playing by the rules. They see people who just aren't finding joy. They're they're talking bad about, you know, their neighbors or their friends. And these kids are going, and this is what I have to look forward to. You know, I'm, I'm out. I don't want, I don't want in. I'm out. And um, he said, keep in mind, you know, then you have a high school with 4,000 kids in it. You have 4,000 kids who are going through this together, sharing this negative, toxic energy in a lot of respects. What do you expect from these kids when they're teenagers to tell them to be happy being a teenager when everything around them says there's nothing to look forward to? Yeah. You know, I thought that was just really, really powerful. So when you say distrust, distrust of authority figures it says a lot it's like life can be great then why aren't you happy well Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you know yeah exactly what you just said i feel that so strongly that we really have created a society where any sane person who's 14 looking at it would go 
I'm not so sure I want to be part of that. <laughs> you know, right. honestly, How do I, escape? I can't How blame do I avoid them. It? Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. It's pretty interesting. It's, and it was, it's so powerful when you hear it, like summarized like that. It was just like, for me, it's like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. You know, teenage, you know, adolescence, being a teenager already is hard. But when you say, what do I have to look forward to? Because like, what's next in my life? What do I look for? Going to college and then I graduate college, then what? Well, then you get a job, get married, have kids and be miserable. Well, I'm out. I'm not in. I'm not into that. And then we wonder why kids do drugs or we wonder why kids are bullies or we wonder why kids withdraw. We wonder why they become, you know, Mm self-abusive. And it's like because they they're not feeling good about the prospects in their life. Exactly. Even though we tell them they have things to look forward to. Yeah, exactly. And what's confusing is why we as adults can't look at the situation and go, oh, what we've created isn't healthy. It isn't working when the most sensitive of our population, the kids and the young adults are telling us it doesn't work for them, then it doesn't work. And I really feel like it's incumbent upon all of us to look at this now and say, we have, like, we created all of this. We can create something different that doesn't make everyone under 18 want to opt out. So why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Is that a rhetorical question or you want to like delve into that? <laughs> I mean, that's what I feel like we're doing, <laughs> at, at least in our work. I mean, I think yeah. that's like, for me, that's very much a, a driving force behind it is that the world that we've created, it doesn't make sense to me. I know it doesn't make sense to most of the kids that we work with. So what if we were to do something different? What if we were mm-hmm. to actually be who we are, opt out of the social structures that don't make sense for us and create something different and mm-hmm. see what that looks like. I don't think it's going to be worse than what we've created now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time I was, um, it was at a YMCA. I was giving a workshop to teenagers and um, one of the kids, one of the participants and it said to me, this is, yeah, the last thing I want to do is go to college. This is what I want to do. And I wish I could remember what it was, but it was something very, it was like, I want to be an artist. I want to be a musician, you know? And I said, well, good, let's, let's go for it. If you haven't met my dad. Oh. <laughs> and I kind of said, well, have you talked to your dad? And his, and his friends go, no, no, you don't know his dad, you know? So obviously his dad is a very strong traditional power figure has already mapped out the career, you know, Mm -hmm. go to college, get a good job, you know, do the things that you're supposed to do to make, you know, a good living and have a good lifestyle as opposed to pursuing this passion that this young man obviously had for himself. Um, And it was, it was heartbreaking because there was no way for me in that short little hour to change his mind about his Mm -hmm. prospects in his life because of who was directing traffic. So sad. I hope that people listening to this can hear that and remember what it's like to be, you know, 17, 18, to have this this knowing in yourself of, of what your potential really is and, and what it is you're meant to be doing here. And then to hear somebody's crushing it out of you. Could we stop doing that for people? Could we stop being afraid for other people? <laughs> they're gonna be fine. Really, if it's what's in you, if it's what you're meant to be doing, the world supports it over and over again. That's been my experience for myself and everybody I know who's walked this path that's very different. 
because I did start the traditional route and then I realized it was making me really sick and I had to do something else. And I don't think I'm the only person who's had that experience. So what if we were to just let go of our fears for other people and let them experience their lives? Why is that something I have to talk about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's so yeah. basic. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, but the, you know, it goes back to like, what are we, what are we, what are we building? And what mm-hmm. we're trying, you know, of course, this is probably a value statement that might offend some people, but it's kind of like the idea being is that you have to have a job so you can support yourself so that you, um, in, you know, you have to make the most money possible so that you can have the best life possible. So there's a value equated to performance, which is job and, and revenue. And if you're making it, in, and I learned in my life, if I make it about the money, then whatever it is I'm doing usually gets crapped up because mm-hmm. I've made it about the money as opposed to the passion of the mission yep. of the interaction. Yeah, exactly. It's a great it gets corruptor. Skewed. What's that? It's a great corruptor. It is. Yeah. It skews everything when you make it be about the money because the money is, I mean, I get that the money is important for, for, for living. It's just, but it's also paper, you know? <laughs> so it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to be orienting our entire existence around that. Uh, when there's so much more that we have to give as humans and so much more that we can receive from the world, it's not paper. Yeah. Um, and that's just yeah. a very, to me, that just feels very fear-based. And I say this as somebody who I recognize, you know, I went to really good schools and I, I had had this ability to to be in a position where I could make lots of money. And I guess maybe it helps to know that I walked away from all of that. And for the last two years, yeah, almost two years, I've been living every month not knowing where the money comes from with nothing left in savings. And it always seems to work out somehow because I'm not worried about it because <laughs> it yeah. just does. Wow. When I started my, when I started my nonprofit, um, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I think, uh, you know, I would, I had this, you know, because of the businessman in me, I had this very intense, complicated cash flow sheet, you know, ins and outs and when's it going and, and all that other stuff. And, um, it was amazing because every time I looked, it's, oh, this is the month we're going to run out of money. This is the month we're going to run out of money. Mm-hmm. And 10 years later, I never ran out of money. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I spent more time worrying about running out of money than actually having the experience of having run out of money. <laughs> and think of all the all the negative energy that comes with mm-hmm. all that time spending working on the worksheet and and having the nervous, anxious doomsday energy around i'm going to go broke yeah yeah exactly and now if you extrapolate that out to people who have who have jobs and homes and all of the things and still have that nervous fear around i'm not going to have enough enough i feel like it's a it's an internal it's a reflection like an external reflection of an internal state of not feeling like you yourself are enough when you can't recognize that there is enough in the world there just is Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's maybe allocated in a way that doesn't always seem like there's enough, uh, but there actually is abundance of resources, and you always get what you need. Always, it's just not all of us need, you know, five hundred acres and a mansion. Yeah. So when you're working with these these, you know, whether it's young adults like the teenagers or the younger children, um, do you? 
what do you see when they get it or what's the is there is there is there, a, is there a, an actual transformation yeah okay what do you what do you what do you experience or what do you witness when you see that it's so cool so they literally light up they just completely their eyes start to sparkle their they almost start to like glow they're so excited and you can see it really clearly especially in the you can see it in all of the kids but especially in the boys the boys who are really reluctant to express any emotion the minute that they finally release their eyes just and we have parents say to us often thank you for bringing my kid back because you mm. see that that essence, that core essence, the being of a person just start to be expressed again, which again, we all have when we're born and is with us when we're little. It just gets sort of slowly suppressed from all the rules and things that we think we're supposed to be and do. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of it starts with... Um the idea that you you give them creative platforms from which to play is that you said there's a lot of drawing and there's a lot of artwork mm-hmm. is that how you connect them with the inner the inner emotion is through the the expression of art is that is that a big part of it it is a big part of it, it it's it works in two ways so one it the movement so if we're not able to be outside walking cuz my preference is always to be outside in in motion um either walking or drawing or doing something it's really important for people to be in doing something with their hands or with their feet to take their mind off of feeling like they're under a spotlight i guess is the best way to put it right so that they can relax and kind of ease into the situation so if if we were to sit down in a circle and start asking well who are you and what is your purpose for being here? It would be way too intense. But if we're there collaging or doing making something out of clay and we just start talking, then those questions can start to come up and it doesn't feel so intense because our mind is partially focused on something else. So that's one reason. It serves that purpose of just kind of making the environment feel safer for people to express. And then the other is once they start to connect with themselves to give them an immediate platform for seeing what that can look like externally. So it serves kind of a dual purpose. And most of it tends to be at the moment, because again, we don't have our own space, tends to be things like paint and clay and collage and writing. We're doing something with LED lights and dance, which will be really fun coming up soon. Um, And song, music, all all different types of expression. And we like to speak of those as languages because, it, again, I think our culture tends to say, well, you are and then a writer or you are a musician. But really, I see those more as languages. So which language do you like to express your being with? Is it Do you prefer music? Do you prefer writing? It doesn't really matter. And then letting them kind of choose what's best for them. Excellent. Well, before we go, because we're almost running out of time, it went so fast, as always. I know. Um, really quick, tell us where where we go for more information. Where do we go from here now that people, you've created enough curiosity with those who are listening? Where do we go? How do we find you? 
Oh, so we have a website. Uh, it's it's be the epicenter separated by dashes. So be dash the dash epicenter.org. So we're online. Uh, we, we're currently in Michigan as well as in California. Um, if you want to do something in person, but also we do a lot of work over the phone uh, and over Zoom as well. Uh, so that's a good way to connect. And then I would say there's a lot of really interesting books and ways to enter into this kind of conversation about coming back to yourself and recognizing the the impact that society has had on us. And one of them I'm going to, and there's a lot of them out there that I'm sure most people can find, but there's one that people don't know about that I'd like to recommend because it's really good. It's called Mount Analog. Do you know this book? It's called what? Yeah, we're going to really quick because we're almost out of time. Mount Analog. Okay. By Renee Jamal. Okay. I'll put I that in the that. show page. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So, oh, thank you so much. And again, it's like we flew by and there's like so much I wanted to, but it was just like our last conversation. So we you know, ran out of time because you had to go to a meeting this time. We ran out of time because we ran out of time. But uh, thank you so much, Allison. And, and I love the work that you're doing. I think that uh, it's amazing. And I love the fact that we're finding creative ways to work around the rule book and giving people some space to be who they are. It's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me share these ideas. Cool. All right. So for everybody else, there is always another show, which is good. Um, next time, um, I don't lost my notes, so it's not going to be important. I can't tell you what's next. But what I will remind you is that it's so important that we find ways to listen, create a space for other people to share their story for who they are, give them a space to be authentic to who they are. Because, you know, opening your eyes, opening your ears, opening your heart, opening your mind just changes everything. So I always want to remind you, stop telling. Start listening. And once you start listening, everything changes. Until next week, have a great week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stop Telling and Start Listening. We hope you've picked up on some useful ideas to help you enhance your conversational skills. Until we listen again, have a beautiful week.